from the creators of War Room. You need to do your fighting in prayer. On August 23rd, the Kendrick brothers return to the big screen with Overcomer. Well, I have a season with one runner. One runner matters. John Harrison is a frustrated coach questioning his value until he crosses paths with a student struggling on her own journey. What have you allowed to define you? When you find your identity in the one who created you, it'll change your whole perspective. Overcomer. In theaters August 23rd, starring Alex Kendrick, Priscilla Shirer, and Sherry Rigby. Rated PG, parental guidance suggested. For tickets and showtimes, visit OvercomerMovie.com. Is that? That's Hannah. Run, Hannah! Oh, you say I'm yours, and I this is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Welcome to the Vintage Homeschool Mom Show. Your host, Felice Gerwitz, is an author, a publisher, and your radio show host. She will encourage, educate, and inspire you with answers to your most pressing questions from homeschool, marriage, parenting, and much more. Felice loves to equip moms to live a Christian life because every moment counts. Be sure to visit her website at MediaAngels.com. And here's your host, Felice Gerwitz. Hey everyone, welcome. This is Felice Gerwitz with an episode of Vintage Homeschool Moms. And today I am going to be talking about a topic that is near and dear to my heart. And we'll get to that in just a minute. I want to thank our sponsor, Overcomer Movie. You will be blessed by this movie. I've been talking about it for the last couple of weeks and a couple more weeks uh, to go until it airs in the theater. And I already have that earmarked as one of the movies I'm going to buy uh, for our home library. It is uh, just one of those great movies that um, just leaves you feeling that at the times in our lives when we feel the most lost and really don't think that anything good will come out of a situation, uh, God miraculously uh, saves the day, right? Uh, not that we should be surprised, but this movie, um, you know, I am sure you'll be blessed. Today, I'm going to talk to you about a very special topic, and one is about teaching creation and evolution. Uh, truthfully, I believe in teaching both side by side, and when the kids are younger, especially if you're a Christian, you're going to want to start with your Bible. I'm getting ahead of myself because this is a topic that I'm really excited about. This is episode 362, and you can find the show notes at Vintage Homeschool Moms uh, Teaching Creation Science. So how do you teach creation science if you have no background in science um, or you are um, you know, a staunch evolutionist and you don't really believe that there's room for any kind of uh, creationist uh, perspective? And so what I want to say in, in this um, podcast today that I think that if we're going to educate our kids, we need to show them... Um, the entire picture, not just one um, segment of it. Many years ago, early in my homeschool journey, I attended a homeschool conference and I walked away with hundreds of dollars worth of books on the topic of creation science. I was blown away 
by the scientists, uh, many who had PhDs, who were discussing uh, the nuances in findings that were done by the Institute of Creation Research, which really is a scientific arm of the community. And again, these uh, scientists that do um, original research and um, conduct experimentation are scientists with a degree in some area of science. So I had attended, you know, these these talks, and I was so impressed not only by the scientific credentials, but the knowledge of the people that I listened to. And they taught me many great things. Um, When I was in the seventh grade, I remember going home from uh, public school, and I approached my mother and basically said, Mom, you lied to me. And she's, you know, getting ready to you know, blow up, good Italian uh, Catholic mom that I had. And she said, what are you talking about? And I said, Mommy, I said, you always taught me that everything in the Bible was true, but we just learned about evolution today in biology class. And it said that everything started from a big bang and nothing about God. Obviously, I was in a public school, right? And so my mother looked at me and very seriously said, Felice, learn what your teacher is telling you and then forget everything other than what it says in Genesis. And one thing I have learned in the years of studying about this topic is that, you know, Jesus himself referenced Genesis over and over and over again. There are some samples of a hundred or more times that Jesus Christ himself gave reference to Genesis. If it's an allegory and it, it doesn't pertain and it's a myth, then why would our Lord and Savior reference it? Food for thought, right? I believe that our children need to not only learn a creationist perspective, but learn an evolutionist perspective. And the reason is when you teach your children both of these perspectives side by side, you're going to find that they're both faith systems. You're going to find that it is just as much faith to believe that God created the world as it is to believe that we were created out of nothing. Now, as a Christian, you might say, well, I believe God created the world, but I believe he created him through evolutionary methods. Okay, and as a creationist, I would say, well, I believe the world that God created the world as he stated in Genesis. And so if you're allowed as a as a evolutionist to believe your perspective, then I should be allowed as a creationist to believe mine. I also think, again, that our kids need to see both sections of the of the uh, scientific research behind it, because you will find as I have, just in doing a little bit of research, um, I took our creation study guide as I was preparing today's talk, and I looked up some of the things we were talking about in there and found quite a bit of, um, you know, actually fun things. I had to take a little uh, divergent uh, tracks here and there as I was reading some of these scientific abstracts, Um, but really, really incredible. So, The scientific study guides that we created years ago, um, I started co-authoring the series in 94-95, and um, what happened was I had begun writing and speaking in the homeschool community, and I started with a book called Teaching Science and Having Fun, and it came out of uh, the work that I had done with my own homeschool kids, 
and putting together some home science labs and things like that, you know, and and really um, having a great time with it and was shocked at how much my kids were learning just through this one medium. And then God introduced me to a creation scientist, a geologist by degree, and a homeschool mom to three boys by occupation. We met by a God incident and became friends and soon co-authors. Because you see, Jill Whitlock was an atheist and had worked as an oil and well geologist for a big company for many years. When she lost her job, she found a new one and it was in a church. And when they handed her a Bible, she told me she opened it and immediately had a difference of opinion with the first sentence, in the beginning God created. She went from being an atheist slash agnostic at the next level of, you know, non-believer uh, to a Christian and a scientific creationist 10 years later. So this 10 years of study that Jill had done uh, before I met her, and I had already authored a book, and so God brought me this woman who was a dynamo, was a intellectual giant. I always would tease Jill and say, you never use real words for things. And well, what are you talking about? And I would say, well, I call this a you know, a swing set, and you call it, and she would go, well, it's a play structure. And I said, you know, these are forks and knives. And she goes, well, they're utensils. So I would just laugh. And I always said that I would make Jill's difficult scientific stuff easy to understand for parents. So what I did was I took her science, and then I created hands-on activities that the kids could do to demonstrate. I'm going to give you a couple of examples in a minute. So finally, I was able to use all those books I had bought years before I met Jill, and we use a lot of them as resources in our study guides, but we wanted something that parents could use with their kids with no prior science knowledge. My background was in education, so I could teach. I just didn't know enough science to teach from a creationist perspective. And even teaching creation science, as it became my passion, I realized more and more and more that a lot of uh People were using the fact that evolution was a fact. We would hear things like, well, of course you know that dinosaurs roamed the world 65 million years ago. And of course you know this, and of course you know that. And if you didn't say, oh, yes, I know this, then you were considered to be, uh, you know, have a few screws loose or were considered uneducated. Interestingly, um, in my world of travels here, uh, not really world travels, but um, you know, living life, I remember consulting with a man who had written a secular book that was scientific, and he wanted to meet with me to discuss a marketing strategy. And his book was uh, had something to do with gardening, with little rain, and you know, he was using this book as a tool uh, for his son to be able to to work from home. And so as this gentleman and I sat down and, and discussed his project and with me giving him some ideas and suggestions, um, because in my spare time, friends, I'm an author consultant, um, you know, he had paid a lot to sit with me and, and talk um, because I, I just didn't have time. So in order to grab an hour of my time or more, you know, I, I had a stiff, stiff fee. And so as he sat there, and he kind of had this funny look on his face, and he, we were, you know, discussing his book, and I said to him, well, did you consider the fee worth it? And he said, absolutely. And he goes, and not for the reason you think. 
This gentleman, while he needed the information I could provide, wanted to meet a creationist because he had looked me up online and he saw what kind of books I had co-authored. And he said, I've never met anyone who's rational, who believes in a literal creation. And so we discussed some of the things and, you know, he was a scientist, had a science background, and he threw out some, you know, I call it the big dog, you know, reasoning. And so I was able to refute this by the grace of God because I wasn't like my my friend Jill who, you know, really knew the information. And so, he, you know, he was sharing certain things and, um, you know, he really, uh, when I would counter with a, um, you know, a fact, he would say, well, that's an anomaly. And that is the answer to so many things in with an evolution rebuttal. If something cannot be explained, it's considered an anomaly, or there is a reasoning that is given as to why. One of the things he brought up were aquatic sediments, and he said, you know, well, you know, I know you believe in the flood and blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, the fact of the you know the, the truth is that there are water laid sediments and aquatic fossils in on every mountaintop that indicate that the entire earth was underwater and one of the reasonings giving well you know there's not enough water in the world to you know even the highest mountain ranges couldn't have been covered but there were so many things that pointed to the fact that the pre-flood mountains were probably not as high as the present ones because the waters rose greatly on the earth and all the mountains under the entire heaven were covered, which is Genesis seven nineteen. And there's a lot of discussion about what happened when those waters of, of the of the deep, you know, um, you know, came up because it wasn't like, you know, when we think about Noah's Ark and the little uh, rain coming down and the flood waters go up and there's like a bunch of little cutesy songs that, you know, go along with that. But one of the amazing things um, is the, the fossil record is fabulous in that we see numerous fossils of fish that are in swimming position with their fins extended and gills exposed and they're preserved. Well, gills degenerate within a few hours of death. So if the fish had not been catastrophically covered and preserved, um, it would never have been fossilized. So it had to be a rapid burial. And there's all kinds of super fun things. I'm you know jumping around a little bit here, but just um, interestingly, you know we can talk to people who um, may disagree with us, and that's one of the things and my goals in life is to be able to, to be educated and discuss things rationally without calling people names and, and, and that sort of thing. So my biggest uh, question that I get from parents is why would you even bother to teach creation scientists because or creation science because you know it's a mute point and I would say no because every other secular book all public and and you know many of the Christian schools teach evolution as a fact. And I want to be able to teach both. I'm not opposed to teaching science from an evolutionist perspective uh, next to a creation one because I want the kids to see you know, the, the differences and where we can agree. We can agree in microevolution, and that is changes within a kind. We cannot agree on macroevolution, which is one species jumping to another and another, as you can see by you know, some of the graphs that are drawn. And when you see all those pictures, friends, they are... 
uh, you know, created a lot of them from imagination or a theory. They're not, you know, some people talk about the geologic column like it's found all in one place. Well, if you look at the sediments, for example, um, you know, in the Grand Canyon, some of those levels are, are, you know, some of those laid down sediments that have been fossilized are in the wrong order. And that was something that, you know, Jill would always talk about. She went to be with the Lord in 2007, and I extremely miss her now because she would definitely have had her own podcast. I would have definitely had her on this network. But I guess from her perspective, coming from an evolutionist, she understood both sides of the coin, and she really um, had a good handle and an understanding of the creationist perspective. If your children are little, I would begin them in, in the Bible as a foundation. Start at the beginning of Genesis and study biblical history. This foundation really helps when you're teaching creation science. One of the things we discussed was the Big Bang. So one of the theories of evolution is that this catastrophic explosion happened and out of this primordial soup, um, you know, the planets were formed and eventually life on Earth and so forth and so on. So uh, what was always amazing to me is that we were to believe that through evolutionary processes, out of this disorder that order came. Now, we know God is a God of order, right? And so when we look at the planet, some are spinning sideways, some are going backwards. Um, You know, they're all held by the glue of gravity or however this gravitational pull is. And we're all, you know, circulating around this, this stationary sun, right? Well, I feel like, you know, God does have a sense of humor. We have a creation um, astronomy book that goes into more detail about about all of that kind of thing. But what was amazing to me is that that was it's almost an impossibility that order comes out of disorder. And so one of the ways that I gave as an example was we took for the little kids is we would give them popsicle sticks and even, you know, middle graders and I would give them a paper bag. And so I would say, okay, these are popsicle sticks. You're going to put them in the paper bag. You're going to blow up the bag and you're going to bang it, you know, pop it on your hands and then you're going to shake out the popsicle sticks. And so the kids would do this and I would say, okay, this is your big bang. And now I want you to tell me what you see with these popsicle sticks out of disorder. Can you find order? And the kids were great. I love kids. And, uh, you know, I would watch them. And so, you know, they would say, no, you know, it's just there's a mess. And then I'd have the little enterprising ones that are, you know, (laughs) taking their toe and kind of making this little house on the ground with these popsicle sticks. And they go, oh, Mrs. Gerwitz, come see, look, out of disorder came order. And, you know, they had this little house created on the ground, you know, stick house with the little popsicle sticks. And I would say, well, what created that was intelligence, and you were smart enough to be able to do that. So again, taking something complex, and we have an intelligent designer, and we call him God. Uh, there's a lot of theories out there we don't have time to get into today, um, but there is a whole movement called um, intelligent design. If you want to see some awesome video, uh, go look at that. Now, and ideas, they, they don't necessarily adhere to a young earth. Um, also, what I am you know amazed at is with the intelligent design community, there's all different 
faiths and those with no faith. So it is um, comprised of scientists who have put their research together who have said Darwinian evolution is dead. Most people in the scientific community that are being honest will agree that Darwin said that the fossil record would prove his theory, and the fossil record has not definitively proven his theory. So it is still a theory. And so um, if you look back at Darwin and, you know, his history and, and that kind of thing, God was not at the top of his list. So what is the best way to debunk God? And that is to point to uh, a creation that happened by itself without a creator. We have um, several creation study guides. So Creation Science is the book that I'm talking about today. There's a creation anatomy, a creation astronomy, uh, a creation geology book. So altogether, we have four study guides and three activity packs that go with them. And you can check them out at the mediaangelsmembership.com and look for them there. They're immediately downloadable at a fraction of the cost uh, for just two of the books, and you get all of the books. Um, and you will check those out there, or you can go to Amazon.com for a print version. But one of the things that we talk about in our book is Ernest Haeckel. Now, Ernest Haeckel uh, drew this drawing. Um, he believed that uh, Darwinian evolution uh, was you know, something that made sense to him. So he deliberately falsified drawings of the human embryo to show a resemblance to other embryos of fish, salamander, turtle, rabbit, dog, on and on. He used his false evidence to prove his theory that, and this is going to be a fun mouthful for me to say, <laughs> ontogeny recapitulates phlogeny which means that the embryonic cycle of a creature depicts the evolutionary history of that species. Now, you may think, well, you know, if there's a, a creator god, then he could have created some of these embryos to be similar and look alike. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, there is something wrong with falsifying scientific data, but what was even more amazing was that in the year 2000, 2001, somewhere around there, my daughter, my second oldest, uh, Christina, was in college and brought me her uh, biology book. And guess what? Ernest Haeckel's drawing was in her current biology book. Now, interestingly enough, this has been uh, banned from most books because uh, these altered drawings were proven to be fraudulent by one of his own colleagues. And you ready to hear the date of this? By Professor Wilhelm. His senior in 1874, Haeckel tried to blame his draftsman for the alterations, but he himself was the draftsman. And this is from uh, research that we have in the book. However, Jill was still being taught Haeckel's theory in 1972. And in the year 2000 and something, my daughter was being taught that. Now, when she confronted her professor and said, I thought that these drawings, you know, have been um, you know, dispelled and that this isn't accurate. And she goes, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we don't really talk about that. We don't talk about it, but it's still in the book. It was his attempt to show that the fish phase of evolution um, was, was, you know, um, 
the gill slits had something, nothing to do with respiration. And so, you know, it had to do with the development of the embryo and so on. And it's, again, it's in this, it's in our book. But the point being made here is that what I found incredible in my studies and in learning about this whole um, entire process is that many, many times data was, um, you know, was eradicated or it was tweaked a little bit or something like that. Even when they were talking about carbon-14 dating, Jill used to date um, rock. As a geologist, she would sometimes take some of these specimens and bring them to the lab. And she said the first question they asked is, where did you find it and how old do you think it is? And shockingly, she said, many times it came in within 10,000 to maybe 20,000 years from what date she gave them. And she never thought this was strange until she became a creation scientist. And then, you know, God kept bringing more and more of these memories to her. So we talk about a lot of different things. Um, I'll have a little bit more information in the show notes. But what I want to show is that a lot of times if a creationist comes up with something, and there's something called radio halos, I'm not going to go into all the research because it's really um, it's really intricate. But the quick, a quick search online showed that this theory by Robert Gentry, and we, we mentioned him in his book, and I, I believe Jill had spoken to him. She had spoken uh, with a lot of the creationist uh, scientists um, back then. And he had this theory, and he had been studying it 30 years before we even put it in our book. But um, And I, I may be mistaken that she knew him, but she knew so many people, so I, I get confused. But I was looking online, and he just drove the secular scientists crazy. And there was all kinds of, um, you know, refuting the claims. In fact, when I looked up radio halos, that's all I saw were the people refuting it. And I read some of their uh, discussions, which I thought were quite interesting. And then I went to um, the Institute for Creation uh, Research and looked up some things as well as creation.com. But I will um, put those links in and you can study more about it. But the bottom line is that radio halos are an indication of a young earth. And of course, that just sets people off because they uh, they really don't want to think of our earth as being young. And my question always is, you know, why does that matter? It matters because evolution could not have happened. It has to happen gradually over time. And that's why there, when I was growing up, it was millions of years. And now you hear billions of years. So time is, is considered the secret sauce um, when I, I'm going to do a, another um, teaching at some point about the DNA, but it's amazing because if you look at the DNA, um, w- just recently I read something that said 96% of, uh, of a human genome, which is DNA, cannot evolve. It just can't because you need right and left-handed uh, DNA. So what came first? Both had to come at the same time. So there's a lot of holes in the theory of evolution, and the more you study it, the more you will see it. My reasons for teaching creation science are very basic. Your kids won't get it anywhere else, so why not expose them to it? Evolution has many false teachings that are ta- taught as fat, for example, Ernest Haeckel, among others. Um, I believe that God created the world as stated in Genesis. Um, it's important, again, to have two sp- 
uh, different perspectives as we teach. And if we teach creation as a myth or an allegory, then that means the entire Bible is one. Where do we stop and pick and choose? And this, my friends, is one of the leading reasons that kids lose their faith. I just talked to another friend not too long ago who told me that um, her child lost faith in college when taught evolution again as fact because they make it sound so, you know, of course you know this, right? And the fifth reason, and I think one of the most important, is that Darwin himself said that the fossil record would validate his theory, and it never has. If you want a series of study guides that will entertain your kids from preschool to high school, there's lots of fun activities in there. Go check out the Media Angels Creation Study Guides. You can either go to MediaAngels.com. Amazon uh, has them as well as a Media Angels membership site that has them for immediate downloads. Um, All of our books contain experiment sheets, games, puzzles, and many more things. And one of the great things about teaching creation science is that it is so hands-on. Your kids will love doing the activities and learning and having fun. And I do believe there's an added benefit. Creation science points to a creator God. It talks about the wonders of God's creation, and it gives us the awe of the world that God created. And again, friends, remember, without a solid foundation, uh, your kids are going to question. And if they don't ask you, they're going to ask you know, perhaps a teacher someday down the road or a friend that's going to give them information um, that perhaps is not uh, correct. And so you really want to give your children a rounded education. You know, I'm not saying don't teach evolution. I'm saying teach them side by side. But I'm also saying, you know, open um, your heart and ask the Lord, you know, what is it that you want me to teach? I know a lot of books create are, are Christian books that de- teach from a creationist uh, perspective, but if they don't have a really good understanding and a foundation of creation, they're going to walk away uh, not understanding and being easily persuaded. Well, friends, I have a creation science podcast. I'd like you to check that out at creationsciencepodcast.com. That's also on uh, this network, the Ultimate Homeschool Podcast Network. As always, it is such a pleasure uh, to be with you during these times and uh, wish you guys the best as you are gearing up as we're recording. We're gearing up for a new school year. So exciting. And um, I'm excited that the homeschooling movement has really grown and will continue to grow under the watchful eye of our Lord and Savior. So take care, God bless, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Vintage Homeschool Mom Show. Visit Felice at MediaAngels.com and TheVintageHomeschoolMoms.com. Vintage Homeschool Moms is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network.